0: Please keep your Bibles open there at Romans 4. We'll come back to that in a moment uh, as we look at faith alone. Uh, Walking into a church building 500 years ago, uh, you'd probably come across art like this. Uh, Quite often carved in stone above the entranceway uh, were artworks like this. Uh, In the middle uh, is Christ the righteous judge sitting on a throne. And on his um, uh, right side are the true Christians. They're drawn with halos around their head. They're they're, they're well-dressed. They look peaceful and serene. The true Christians who belong to Jesus. On Jesus' left side are the untrue Christians, and the picture there is uh, rather frantic. The people in the picture there, they're they're troubled, they're, they're harassed by demons and their sin, they're raggedly dressed. Now, ordinary churchgoers, as they walked up to a church building, as they walked under this archway and this carving, they would identify with the group on Jesus' left... Struggling with temptation, struggling with sin, thinking, believing, knowing, expecting that they are destined for a supposed purgatory or even hell. And what was on offer inside the church building was this almost elusive possibility of getting yourself over to Jesus' right side... Medieval salvation uh, was wrongly seen to be a slow process, whereby your works, by your effort, and especially your money, you could cooperate with the grace of God that would act in your soul and be worked out by the leaders of the church through the sacraments. Yet for the ordinary churchgoer, you could never really be sure of your salvation because the next time you go up to the church building, you've got to come back under the same carving again and you'll be drawn to the hopeless reality of being on the wrong side of Christ. So in 1517... Martin Luther radically disturbed the image over the church entrance when he nailed his Reformation ideas. I'm going to look at a quote from Martin Luther which describes him coming to understand justification, how he could be right with God by faith. This is what he says, Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely deserved conscience. Can you imagine which side of the picture he's on? I did not love. Yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. And secretly, I was angry with God. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely... In the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, as it is written, He who through faith is righteous shall live. There, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the Gospel... He who through... Sorry, I missed a line. Uh, This is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely, the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, He who through faith is righteous shall live. What impact did this have on Luther? How did he feel about it? Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. What a different experience to walking under that carving and feeling like you're drawn to the wrong side of Christ, but he feels like, by understanding justification by faith, he has walked into paradise itself. Justification means to be declared right with God, to be accepted by Jesus... By faith. A radical idea 500 years ago. Now before we unpack justification by faith and how it turned the church upside down in 1517, it's important that we understand the problem of faith that we have in 2017. We have a problem with the definition of of faith, what is faith? Let's first go to Rich Richard Dawkins, a biologist. He says, "Faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence." Richard Dawkins is a famous opponent of Christianity, a, a militant atheist, but he's not just writing this to attack Christianity, and I'm not just strawmanning somebody who's out to the side, who is, is, is radically against Christianity and faith, because these kind of ideas and definitions start to filter into all of us. So let's go next to somebody a little bit more popular, Tim Minchin, a musician, He says, faith is the denial of observation so that belief can be preserved. Go a little bit more popular again, Superintendent Chalmers from The Simpsons. He says, prayer has no place in public schools just like facts have no place in organised religion. You see, if we were to come up with a crowd-sourced definition of faith, it would be something like this. A religious delusion that is devoid of facts. A blind leap into the dark. Does that sound familiar? But that's not what biblical faith is. Nearly 500 years ago, John Calvin writes as if he is writing for 2017. As if he's addressing Dawkins and Minchins and Superintendent Chalmers and us. This is what Calvin says about faith. Now, we shall possess a right definition of faith if we call it a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence, His kindness, His goodness towards us, founded upon the truth of the freely given promise in Christ, both revealed to our minds and sealed upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit." For Calvin, coming out of the Bible, faith is a reasoned conviction based on what God has made known to us. I wrote down this definition of biblical faith when I was at Bible college. Some of the institutes of Christian religion must have actually filtered into me from Calvin. Biblical faith is to be so convinced of the promises of God to us in Jesus that you reorient the whole of your life around them. It's belief, it's trust, it's obedience to be so convinced of the promises of God to us in Jesus that you reorient the whole of your life around them. It is based on fact, it is based on truth. It's not just a warm fuzzy feeling or a leap into the dark but a strong conviction that shapes and orients the whole of our life. In Romans chapter 4 we've got the example of Abraham. As a man of faith. Have a look with me please again in verse 18. Romans chapter 4, page 797. I think you need to turn the page to get to verse 18. Hear how Abraham fits this definition. Against all hope, verse 18, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. There's the promise of God. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Abraham's a realist. He faces up to the reality of his situation, that he's nearly 100 years old, his wife uh, has never had children and doesn't look like she's going to have children and God says, God promises to him, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation, I'm going to give you lots of children of your own. Abraham faces up to that fact but he also faces up to the facts about God, that God is able to do what he says that he will do. That's faith based on fact. So against hope, without wavering, Abraham believes Abraham has faith. He is so convinced of the promises of God that he orients the whole of his life around them. This is faith. And so now we've reminded ourselves about what faith is. Let's see what's so amazing about the discovery of faith alone for being declared right with God in the time of the Reformation as we unpack these timeless truths of Romans chapter 4. And we're going to do it under two headings. Listen carefully, they're very subtly different. All of justification is by faith. Justification of all is by faith. The first one, all of justification is by faith. We are not declared right with God by faith plus something or anything else. It's all by faith. All of justification is by faith. Even for Abraham, this great Old Testament hero, a legend of Israel's identity, the spiritual father of Jews, as impressive as he is, Paul says he's justified by faith, by belief alone. Romans chapter 4 verse 1. Can you look at it with me please? What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, our great hero, discovered in this matter, verse 2, if in fact Abraham was justified, made right with God by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed. You can just interchange the word faith. Faith and belief are the same word in the Bible. Abraham believed, had faith in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, he's the comparison, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now, many of us went off to work last week or have done in the past and are living off the fruit of that. If your boss doesn't pay you for the work that you did last week, you can take him or her to court and sue them you are owed your wages. Wages are not a gift, they are what you've earned. They belong to you, you are owed them. Gifts are different, aren't they? Gifts are not an obligation. If your mother-in-law doesn't give you a birthday present this year, you cannot take her to court and sue her. Somebody's going to Google this now and find an example of that happening, isn't it? But that would be ludicrous. Gifts are not an obligation. Or justification is a gift. It's something that God does. God freely gives it, not out of obligation. We cannot take God to court and sue him to say, Hey, give me what I deserve. No, it's because of Jesus' death on the cross in our place that God acquits and declares a sinner to be in a right relationship with Him freely by faith. Not a reward for working, but a gift wholly received by believing. Now, if you sometimes think, surely God can't and won't justify me so simply... We don't see many of these artworks today. We certainly don't have one over our building, but I think we've got one painted in our mind. And so often we can feel like we are drawn, that we are pulled, that we belong on the wrong side of Christ. I struggle with temptation. I fall into sin again and again and again. How can it be that God would freely forgive me? Well, look please at verses 7 and 8. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Now, Paul picks up these words which were originally written by David, the great King David, who slept with another man's wife. And then when he found out that she was pregnant, she had her husband, he had her husband killed. And he was the king of God's people. David writes these words down, not in a deluded state, but because he knows better than anyone that even he can be declared right with God by faith alone, by God's gift. Now, do you think God might have made a mistake that justification be by faith? Do you think that when you came along with all of your sin that God said, Oh, whoops, I didn't see this one coming. God didn't get it wrong. A right relationship with God is wonderfully possible all By faith. If your faith is in God's promises to you in Jesus, if you are so convinced of God's promises to you in Jesus that you reorient your life round about them, there is nothing that you can do or nothing that you need to do to make you more justifiable to God. This is smashes the picture at the entrance of the medieval church and is wonderful news for us that all of justification is by faith. Now the second thing we want to say about justification is that justification of all is by faith. Uh, When I was at Bible college, I was a guest speaker one Sunday at a youth group uh, that was part of a Vietnamese church and uh, as I had done a few times before, was uh, preaching with the help of a translator. Everything that I would say, they would translate into the other language, which is just uh, a, a really scary thing when you try and tell a joke. Quite often the translator will say, he just told a joke, it's not funny but laugh anyway. That's happened to me more than once. Well, this one is a bit funny as well. At the end of the youth group uh, meeting, the leader asked, as a bit of a quiz, what is justification? Now, there's this great pause amongst this Vietnamese youth group until eventually one kid was brave enough to stick his hand up and say, justification, it's just the Christian way of working your way into heaven. Now, what you need to know is that the talk that I had just given was actually on justification. Maybe something got lost in translation. Justification is not just the Christian way of working your way into heaven, of getting from Jesus' wrong side onto Jesus' right side. One, it's not about working, is it? And it's not just the Christian way justification of all is by faith justification of everyone is by faith there's not a Jewish way and a Roman way there's not an Aussie way and a Vietnamese way there's not a country way and a city way there's not a Presbyterian Anglican Baptist way there's not your way his way her way and my way there is no other way to be justified justification of all is by faith And now this is the point that Paul makes from verse 9. Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. While he was still a non-Jew, while he was a Gentile, before he had the symbolic sign of being a Jew, he was already justified, declared righteous. Have a look with me please in verse 9. Romans chapter 4 verse 9. Is this blessedness... The blessedness of forgiveness and acceptance by God, verse 9, is this blessedness only for the circumcised, those of Jewish descent, or is it also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Well, under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, the Jews, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. I just said the word circumcised far too many times. But it's what's there in the Bible. Given as the great sign from God to his Old Testament people to show that they belong to him. Not by what they do, but by God's declaration of his promise. And so, what Paul is saying here is that circumcision doesn't make Abraham right with God, it's the sign that he is right with God. Just by sticking a ring on my finger does not make me married. Anyone here could stick a ring on their finger, but it is a sign that I am married. Justification comes before the sign for Abraham and for all of faith. It comes before his Jewishness. And so then justification doesn't come through being a Jewish descendant of Abraham, but by being a true child of of Abraham. And how do you be a true child of Abraham? Well, it's by faith. From every ethnic background, from every cultural background, from every religious background, there is only one way by which we can be right with God. Justification of all is by faith. Now please picture, for a moment, uh, Jesus in the garden on the night before he was crucified. Almost all of us have, have, have read those passages of the Gospel before and, have, and heard them read and are quite familiar with the image. Jesus' disciples are over there struggling to stay awake unsure what is going on and Jesus takes himself so that he's a little bit alone and there he is praying to God. He is in deep anguish. He has come from God. He knows the plans of his good father, God. He knows what is coming and he feels all the burden and the stress and the fear and the pain and the anguish that is going to meet him in the day ahead and there he's praying my father if it is possible may this cup be taken from me may I not have to drink down to the dregs of your judgment that you are pouring out on your wrath on your rebellious humanity My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now let's just pause the scene there for a moment. Can you imagine an alternative ending? Could you imagine at this point a loving, all-knowing God going, actually there is another way. I'm not going to tell him about it. Actually, there's quite a few other ways. Sinners might actually earn their salvation by doing enough good works. And if that's not possible, then then through the church, they can can buy their way in. Hmm. And as people pursue dreamed-up spirituality and follow religious gurus, yeah, well, let's make sincerity count for something. Uh, And Let's not get too technical about terms. Let's merge reincarnation and resurrection and nirvana and heaven and, well, God, Allah, Yahweh. It's all the same. And the much-loved son is in the garden, sweating drops of blood, pleading, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. there is no other way. Jesus goes to the cross for the justification of sinners because there is no other way. Justification of all is by faith and all of justification is by faith. Let me give you three quick reasons why this matters today. Number one, justification by faith meets us where we are. We don't have that medieval carving, but we've got all kinds of pictures in our own minds, and justification by faith meets us right where we are, sinners but able to know, able to approach, able to worship God on the basis that we bring nothing but faith. Have a look in verse 23. The words it was credited to him, to Abraham, were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Justification by faith meets us right where we are. The second reason why justification matters today is that it assures us of God's acceptance So that we can rid from our minds that medieval carving, justification by faith assures us of God's acceptance. Have a look into chapter 5, Paul didn't put a chapter break, chapter 5 verse 1 which we read earlier in our service, therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Reason two why justification by faith matters is that it assures us of God's acceptance. And now the third reason why justification by faith matters is that it gives all the glory to God. The title of this sermon series is Soli Deo Gloria. You know Latin, you can translate it for me. Glory to God alone, or alone to God be glory. The great problem of the human condition, which we read about in Romans chapter 1, is that we sought glory for ourselves. Though we know God, we rejected God and we worshiped things that had been made. We sought out glory for ourselves. But glory alone is to go to God. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. All glory belongs to God. Now what justification by faith does is that the glory of biblical faith is now not located in the nature of our faith by our sincerity or our achievement or our virtue, but the glory of faith is located in the object of our faith, God. The justification by faith gives all the glory to God. He's the one who made us. He's the one who saved us in His Son and for His glory alone. Romans chapter 11, verse 36 is at the end of a section where Paul gets more worked up than even I do at times. And Paul says, For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him, to God, be the glory forever. Amen. That's why justification by faith matters.